This is the message from Connection Community Church for this Sunday, January 12, 2014. Sermon on the Mount, the As You Have Heards. Well, good morning, Connection Church. How is everybody this morning? Doing all right? All right, good. (laughs) Well, my name is Lori Brown. I am the pastor of spiritual formation here at Connection and a sinner who's been saved by God's grace. Would you all pray with me, please? Gracious God, wow, we just thank you for today, Lord. We thank you that we could come here and worship together as a community to spend time in your presence. Lord, I just pray that our hearts are open for all that you have. Our hearts, our ears, our eyes, everything, Lord, um, to receive what you have for each one of us, and you have something for each one of us today. I just know you do. So, Lord, um, we just give this time to you. We give our attention to you, and we pray that we're changed and transformed by your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as we shared last week, early in his ministry, when the crowds came to him, Jesus went up on a mountainside in order to share a message with the people, a message that we all need to hear. And this message is found in chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the book of Matthew. This is one of the longest pieces of teaching of Jesus found in the New Testament. These teachings of Jesus have come to be, come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount. So last week, you were challenged to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Not just read it once, but to read it each week during the series. And I'm not going to ask who did it, but um, if you did take on the challenge, I'm sure you were blessed by it. If not, no worries, no pressure, it's okay. Maybe you weren't even here last week, Um, but you can take the challenge on this week. So we challenge you all to open your Bibles and read Matthew 5, Six and seven. As you read it, have your heart be open, changed and challenged, and be transformed by Jesus' words. So as we continue our series today, we are going to focus on one of the six, what we're calling the you have heard's statements of Jesus. <clears throat> They're found in Matthew 5, 21 through 5, 48. And these you have heards, all six of them, are really a really tough teaching. (laughs) This is some tough stuff. So I just pray that God, you know, keeps us open. So examples of these statements. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman or man, lustfully, has already committed adultery with her or him in their heart. You have heard that it was said long ago to the people, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. So the you have herds, they deal with the very heart, the intent, 
the spirit, and the living out of the law. The law refers to the laws that were given by God through the prophet Moses to the Israelites, and they include the Ten Commandments, which I'm sure we're at least familiar with them, if you don't know all ten, but a lot of us know, could probably name six or seven of them, and other laws that addressed how we, sh- how we should treat others, how we worship God, and various other situations. So the you have herds, they cover some pretty hot topics. Topics that we see on TV every night, things like murder, anger, adultery, lust, retaliation, love of enemies, just to mention a few. But Jesus' message is much different than the TV shows we might see at night. So Jesus came to teach us and show us how to live the law, not in a legalistic way, but how we can live the law as it was intended to be lived. And it was intended to be lived in communion with and in relationship with God. So the only way we can really do this is by having a personal relationship with Jesus. We need him in our hearts to live the law. We need him to help us live the spirit of it out. Jesus is our model for living. So today we're going to look at the you have heard statement found in Matthew 21 through 26, which says... You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Okay, so we're going to break this down a little bit. You have, heard say, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now Jesus starts by quoting a very familiar piece of the law, one of the Ten Commandments found in the Old Testament in Exodus 20, 13. You shall not murder. The Ten Commandments would have been very familiar to the people back then, and they're pretty familiar even in our society for people who, you know, aren't in the church. They've at least heard of the Ten Commandments. And I think we can all agree that you shall not murder is a good (laughs) law to have. (laughs) So, um, but then Jesus then, he throws them a curveball, and he says, but I tell you, Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. Raka is an Aramaic term for calling someone like an empty head or a fool. I know it sounds kind of silly, you empty head. That's, you know, it just sounds, sounds a little silly. But back then, this was a serious term. In essence, this was the equivalent of character assassination or slander and anyone who says you fool as the scripture says will be in danger of the fire of hell 
So Jesus is saying that anyone who is angry with another person is in danger and at risk of judgment. Not from the earthly court, but from the heavenly one. Both murder and being angry with a brother and sister will require a response to the heavenly court. Now Jesus, he, like a laser beam, he focuses on the heart of the matter when it comes to murder, anger. Jesus wants us to deal with our anger because anger has the potential to kill, not only literally in the case of murder, but it can also kill off people relationally. So how many of us know or have friends or family that have been cut off because of somebody else's anger over a situation? I know I know people, yeah, in my family, you know. Um, or maybe we're the ones that have cut people off. Jesus is saying this in his teaching here, deal with your anger or your anger may take you down and destroy you. Anger is dangerous to our souls. Everybody say that. Anger is dangerous to our souls. It has the power to kill, both literally and figuratively, through our words and our actions. So the question is, one of the questions to look at today is, are you angry? Maybe there's something in your life that's causing you to be angry right now. And I'm sure if you're not angry now, at some point in the future, you'll probably be angry. <laughs> so this is for all of us. And if you are angry now, to look at what is the anger about? Who are you angry with? Is it a family member, a friend, a coworker, a situation? Maybe it's an institution. Why are you angry? What's fueling the anger from within? These are great, great questions to ask yourself. Now, anger, whenever you experience yourself getting angry, let anger be a great big red flag waving, danger, danger, danger zone. Because anger that is left unchecked and unresolved can have us explode and lash out unintentionally in ways that are not healthy, ways that are harmful, and ways that can lead to greater consequences like murder. So recognizing the anger in our lives is the very first step. Jesus is telling us to let go of it, get rid of it before it gets us. One way to begin to do that is to realize and recognize that anger is actually a secondary emotion. It's a secondary emotion because something else is causing it. So what I mean by that, if we look underneath the anger, beneath it we find unresolved primary emotions like fear, shame, hurt, rejection, disappointment, sadness, feelings of abandonment, leading to the secondary emotion of anger. So an example from my own life. About 16 years ago, 16 years ago, I was really angry. I was angry about my situation. I was a single parent, and I was angry about that. It's not the way I thought life was going to turn out. 
I never said as a little girl, wow, I can't wait to grow up, get divorced, and be a single parent of two small kids. <laughs> I was angry that I was doing the job of two people. I was angry I had to support myself and the household by myself. I was depressed. You know, and I've heard that some forms of depression are anger turned inward. In my case, that was true. I was angry and depressed, and I did not like the way I was living my life. Well, one night, both of my kids were acting out. They wouldn't go to sleep. Now, I tried, you know, several times to calm down the situation, but they kept shouting back and forth at each other, and after several, several failed attempts to quiet them down, I just snapped. The anger within me, like, came out of nowhere. My son had this little chair on the floor. I, like, picked up that chair, and I slammed it down on the floor, and it broke in multiple pieces. Right after that happened, I have to tell you, I was completely mortified with my behavior. How that anger within me just came out in a moment. This was a wake-up call for me. So let's let anger be a wake-up call for us in our lives. Let it be a reminder and a red flag, danger! Something's going on deeper that needs to be dealt with in our lives. So it wasn't until after this incident that I realized just how angry I was with my situation. If you would have asked me beforehand, before that moment happened, I wouldn't have said I was angry. I don't think I was even relating with that. But I realized I was angry, and underneath my anger was those primary emotions of fear, abandonment, rejection, shame. And I know hate is a strong word, but I hated my life at that time. That moment of rage was a turning point for me. I sought help from a counselor, in addition to several other support, group support structures, such as Al-Anon. And I came to realize, with the help of others, that if I was going to be happy and content with life, I had to learn to love my life. I knew I needed to love my life the way it was and not how I wanted it to be or how I thought it should be. So as an unchurched person, this was a huge God moment for me. You know, by God's love and grace, within six months to a year from that moment, I had done a complete 180 where my anger was con concerned in that situation with the help of others, people who were salt and light in the world, as we talked about last week, that I had done, with their help, I had done some of the hard work to get underneath the anger, and I actually began to love my life just the way it was and just the way it wasn't. So in this first part of the passage, Jesus is telling us to deal with the anger we have towards others. What's it going to take for you to do that? A broken chair? A hole in the wall? Lashing out, of a love, out, out at a loved one? 
or something worse. In the next few verses here, Jesus throws us another curveball, and he says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So this time, Jesus is telling his disciples that not only must they deal with their own anger towards others, that they and we must also be an instrument of reconciliation when other people have something against us. Now, I don't know if you can think of anybody who has anything against you, but I'd be willing to bet if you thought long and hard enough, you'd find at least one person, maybe more, that have something against you. So Jesus, in this example, he uses an extreme example to get the point across. He says, like for instance, when the Israelites, when they came to Jerusalem to offer their gifts at the temple, most of the people coming to do that would have done so from far away. It might have taken them days or weeks to get there. Jesus is saying, even after you've traveled long distances, if you remember that one of your family or friends has something against you, you are to leave your gift at the altar and go back and be reconciled to that person first. Then come back and offer your gift to God. So here's the thing. God cares about the state of our relationships. God cares about the state of your relationships. As followers of Christ, Jesus is saying we are the ones who are to take the lead. We are the ones who are to take the lead when it comes to reconciliation with others. And it doesn't matter if the reason that they're upset with us is justified or not. Last week, we discussed how salt is a change agent. And like salt, we are to be change agents in the world. When we follow Jesus' teaching here to be reconciled, we become reconciliation agents. We are the ones who are called to take the lead. We are the ones who are to take the initiative to work things out with others, not the other way around. Jesus is saying, do it as soon as you remember it. Do not delay. So being a reconciliation agent with others takes practice and communication. If you want to get better at it, first we need to learn how to deal with our own situations that are causing anger or upset in our lives. Then you'll be better equipped to help foster reconciliation with others. So when you can better understand a person's reactions, you can have empathy and compassion for them. When I see somebody get fired up inside, there's two questions that I ask myself. I ask myself, what is fueling their fire? What's underneath the outburst that's causing them to react the way they are? 
It's usually a deep-seated passion for something that's not being heard, or it's an unresolved emotion from a situation that happened, as mentioned earlier. You know, there's a great book that I picked up at the Willow Creek Leadership Conference that about 20 of us went to um, from Connection this past August called Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When the Stakes Are High. And when reconciliation is involved, this book has been a, a huge help. One of the recommendations in the book is to start with heart. I think Jesus would agree starting with heart is a good place. What starting with heart means is to pause and ask yourself, what's my heart for this person? What's my heart for this relationship? And an even better question is to ask, what is God's heart for this person? What is God's heart for this relationship? Now we know from the example that we're talking about here today that God's heart is reconciliation. That's what Jesus teaches us to do in this message. He says, be reconciled, then come offer your gift to God. He's essentially saying your heart is not in the right place. If you're not right with your brother or sister, you're not right with me. Go take care of that relationship first. So in the preparation and writing of this message, my thoughts about anger have changed. The world might tell us it's okay to be angry, especially when it's justified. But that's not what Jesus says or teaches. He says, be reconciled. Be right with others. Be right with me. Jesus wants us to display kingdom values, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, forgiveness over the world's values. The world makes it okay for people not to be reconciled. In the world's values, it's more about being right. And if you're right, what's that make the other person? Wrong. Or it's about winning or losing, right? If you're the winner, what are they? They're the loser. You know, and that just creates a series of like one-ups. You know, it makes me think like sometimes, you know, Dave and I, we don't argue that often, but I mean, sometimes when we don't display completely the way God would have us, I mean, it's easy to, you know, do a little jab there, a little jab here, but you gotta stop. I mean, that's like, we do these one-up things. I'll get you, you hurt me, I'll get you back. So God is telling us to be reconciled. Jesus goes on to say, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So settle matters quickly with your adversary. Do not delay. Do it while you still have time. This is great advice that Jesus is giving each one of us. 
The question is, is will we heed his teachings? It is so easy to delay. I'll do that next week. Next week becomes three weeks from now. I'll do that next month, you know? <laughs> and before you know, some of these can be years, and that space, that reconciliation just doesn't occur. Jesus is saying, do it, do not delay. For those of us who claim Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, that's exactly what he's calling us to do. So the question is, is what lengths are you willing to go to to deal with your anger? What steps are you willing to take to be reconciliation agents for Jesus? Who do you need to be reconciled with? You know, Jesus, he is the ultimate reconciliation agent. <laughs> you know, he went all the way. He went to great lengths all the way to the cross so that you and I might live and be fully, completely reconciled with God. With his help, we can deal with the anger in our lives. With his help, we can deal with those relationships that need to be reconciled, even those really tough ones. And I know that this is hard because I have people in my life who in the past have been violent and abusive, emotionally, physically. You know, and sometimes even when we reconcile, it doesn't mean that, you know, like for instance, I'm married to Dave. I'm not going to reconcile with my ex-husband by, you know, being in the same kind of relationship as I was as a wife. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Sometimes the relationship changes, but I can be 100% reconciled with my ex-husband today. And, you know, I have one person in my life who reconciliation has taken 20 years. 20 years. And it's keeping the door open. You know, it doesn't mean we take abuse from people. We set up healthy boundaries. But we can, even in the toughest relationships, still be reconciled with that person completely in our hearts. And um, this one relationship, the, the one 20 years, this past Christmas, I got a card from this person and their significant other, and it said, we want to thank you and Dave for all the help and support you've given us this past year. We want to thank you for the love and the kindness that you've showed us. You know, so I know with Jesus, with God, all things are possible. And I would have never imagined that I would get a card from this person saying that. And it was actually the best gift I got because what it did is it encouraged me all those times of putting up boundaries, being kind, keeping the door open for reconciliation. It really works. Um, I also encourage you 
to heed the warning of do not delay. I have another um, relationship that, you know, I'm really sorry to say that this was a person who wasn't as involved or close in my life, but somebody I knew I needed to do a little bit of getting right with, and they died this past year. And I didn't do it. I kept thinking, I have time. You know, sometimes we don't have time. When we have time, that's God's grace. Time is grace, but don't delay. If you need help with this, you know what? We're not supposed to do it alone. We need God, and we need each other. So don't be afraid to ask for help, especially in some of the most difficult of cases. So today as we leave here, I want you to take like a personal inventory and ask yourself, are you angry right now? Is there a situation that you're angry about? Um, Who do you need to reconcile with? Make a list. If you can't think of anybody, come talk to me. I'm sure we have at least somebody, (laughs) right? (laughs) I mean... (laughs) So, and then what's one step, just one step you can take this week to better deal with your own anger or to open doors that will lead to reconciliation with others? Don't delay. This is the good news of God. Let's live it and believe it. Let's pray. Gracious God, wow, we thank you for today. We thank you for your message found in Scripture, your tough message that's found in Scripture. Lord, I just pray that you would um, look into each of our hearts. Help us um, take some inventory, see where any angry places in our lives or people we need to be reconciled with. Lord, um, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit because we need you. We cannot do this alone. We need your spirit to live this out because this is a tough teaching, Lord. So help us live this out. Lord, I know that there are some in here that, you know, before they can even think about reconciliation, they need healing. So I pray for healing. I pray for healing that they will be made whole so that they can see a path to future reconciliation, Lord. Meet us each where we're at. I know you give us everything we need just when we need it. Our daily bread, whether that's in terms of food, assistance, um, words to speak. So Lord, we just uh, surrender it all to you and we ask that you would lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. For more information about Connection Community Church, please visit our website at connectioncc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash connectioncc. You can also contact our church office at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus 
and the life he offers.